0: I'm just going with the flow. So you're listening to Three Wise
1: Truck Guys from Key Advisors. Hey,
0: good morning. Welcome to the Three Wise Truck Guys Podcast. Uh, this is Keith Ely, and I'm welcomed by uh, Mark Martinsic.
1: Hi, Keith. Hi, everybody.
0: Hey Mark, how are I'm you today?
1: Doing stellar, as Amber would say. Great.
0: And guess what, Mark? Our third compadre is back with us this week. He decided to come back from the islands of Hawaii. John Whittnell's with he us. He's got a nice tan. He does yeah. have a good-looking tan.
2: Yeah. Good morning, everybody. I just want you to know that was one of the worst decisions I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish I was still back over there.
0: <laughs> so it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't going. It was coming back. That was the bad decision.
2: that—that uh, that, that, I think Keith, you just hit the nail right on. Happy to be here, <laughs> boys, and
1: looking forward to another engaging. Well, session. those those pictures hey. of you and the surfboard were fantastic, man. Yes,
0: they, yes, they yeah. were. Yes, they were. The shark, was yeah. Right I climbing. saw it. I, no, saw I didn't. It. D- we didn't didn't know you had those nine pack abs either, John. So.
2: Well. A long time ago, Keith, uh, place far away. You, you might have had something there, but uh, I don't think you're pulling. <laughs> <laughs> there are sixty-two-year-old really hey. guys running around with six packs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so th- this morning, what we're going to uh, we're going to spend time with, and really, it's how we're going to start to structure our our podcast uh, on an ongoing basis. We want to talk a lot about continuous improvement and and leadership and and doing it it at what we'll call a high level, but digging into some specific items um, over the course of this podcast over the next year, two years, 10 years, however long we we make this go. Certainly, we're going to intersperse it with best practices in the dealership and uh, giving some quarterly updates, more quarterly focused discussions at what's happening in service or used trucks or the dealership business in general. But, you know, one of the things that I, I, I think Mark and John that we've had that we're blessed with among the three of us and really with our whole team is we've got some really good people and, and really good customers that are asking questions all the time about how do I get better at what I do? How do I get better at uh, this, this department? How do I get better at... Um, Entire dealership, and so um, that, along with leadership, you know, is is what we're going to spend some time with. So, if you guys are all game with that, um, I'm ready to move forward.
1: Always ready.
0: All right, hey. So, John, just uh, some best and worst things that you've seen over the last over the last month, whether it's dealership related, uh, leadership related. Uh, operations related, but what's a a worse thing that you've seen that you've ran into in the last month on an engagement you've been with or a dealer visit you've been with?
2: You know, Keith, I think uh, one of the things that I've always sort of held sacred was... uh, is, you know, that end of the month, that last week is really important to the, to the overall success of the dealership. And so, uh, you know, losing focus your, your last week of the month, I think that's, uh, that's always a challenge. And, uh, and so t- to me, that, that, that would be one of the things I'd say that would be the, uh, the, the worst thing is just a poor, poor closeout process, poor discipline coming down the stretch in terms of uh, trying to wrap up a month. I think, um, and consistent with today's conversation, the, the best thing I've seen is uh, working with a client right now as we think about process management. You know, and uh, and and some of the effort that we've put into process management, specifically on the retail ready process, getting trucks ready for the front line, so that when they're on the front line, they start, and our customers can be, uh, we can be. We can be comfortable that we're gonna be able to do a good product walk around with that. The evolution of some of the initial things that we've done and how, how uh, employees at the dealership have sort of taken it upon themselves to try and take that basic process for consistency that we put in place and take it to the next level so that, uh, so that we can not only execute on the basics but, but really improve our probability of sales success when, when we show a, a customer a specific truck. So the the answer on the best things, is just continuous improvement, continuous evolution of existing processes, that's one of the things that I think I'm most
1: excited about based on what I've seen in the month of February.
0: Great. Mark, how about you?
1: Uh, Well, I'm gonna start with the best, okay? Uh, The best is is the focus that's on fixed operations. I think we talked uh, uh, a couple podcasts ago about uh, 2020, what's in store for 2020. And we're certainly gonna sell less trucks from all forecasts, okay? And uh, and I, for one, was worried that there'd be too many cutbacks. But uh, what I'm seeing is focus on those units and operation that the, the dealers have put out and beefing up fixed operations to be ready for that work and, and collect that, that gross profit. And, and I'm seeing that almost almost every place I'm going. On the worst side, uh, sticking with service, uh, it amazes me how many dealers still pay technician incentives, okay, on, on efficiency. Efficiency being how many hours did I book or, or, or produce versus how many hours I was punched on a job. It just opens itself to to, to encouraging almost the technician to cheat on the punch times and so forth. I was in a dealer a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, that actually had a hybrid pay plan. They told me that uh, this one tech was being paid flat rate, but in reality, he was paid flat rate for the time he was punched on a job, and he was paid hourly when he wasn't punched on a job. So you can imagine what that led to and in the, in the difficulty in the frontline front line team to manage those punches correctly, because you're incentivizing him to punch in late or punch out early, and and uh, not worry about running and getting the next job and so forth. And it's the same with an efficiency deal. Uh, you know, over the 30 years uh, that I've been doing this, okay, the most common thing that I see is an efficiency pay plan, and and it just puts so much more pressure on the manager to control it. So there's alternatives to it. But overall, the focus on uh, fixed operations for 2020, I think, is the way to go, and probably huge trucks, John. Okay, uh, with with new trucks backing down. So,
2: Keith, you know, I just would echo what Mark just said. Uh, in all the clients that I visit too, uh, I see people challenging a lot of areas in waste and inefficiency in the organization. In fact, floor plan interest expense seems to be everybody's number one target right now because uh, manufacturers have pushed a lot of inventory out there in the field. It's all interest bearing right now. And, and it's uh, probably one of the bigger exposures. But I don't have any of my clients, Mark, that are taking their eye off the fixed operations ball and are looking to uh, to do something uh in terms of trying to take costs out of their enterprise in that aspect of the business
0: you know i think uh i think my my worst i'll start with the worst we've been john you and i talked about this i think our as a group we talked about this last week we've been involved in uh, a couple of really really nice projects with customers in helping them sell their business you know, from doing the due diligence on the balance sheet, getting that business prepared for sale, uh, helping them arrive at, a, at a, a fair value for that business, marketing the business, working with potential candidates, and and those have just been great projects. But we've also been exposed to not that we've done the work with the customers on this, but exposed to somewhere they've made decisions to sell the business, but but. You look at it and you say, I'm not really quite sure why you made the decision to put a deal together like you just put it together. Why would you sell forty one or excuse me, fifty-one percent of the of the business? And why would you not have done good due diligence on your own balance sheet before you put it out to market, you know, so that people aren't picking apart your, your business and and by the time you get through that actual due diligence process you know, what what you had and what you thought you had on a balance sheet is not doesn't resemble anything like you started with. And so I, you know, I, I look at some of these and you you ask some questions about why did you do what you did and and it, you know, just just the, the thought process behind some of those. I'm not quite sure that I understand. Um, my best goes along with what you two are talking about. Mine is from a part standpoint, though, and and the impact of this continuous improvement on uh, on the bottom line of a department, and and specifically on first time fill rate. About about six months ago, we've we uh, engaged with a customer on on the parts side, and really they had a, the first meeting was around the parts managers not understanding the basics of of what drove first-time fill rate, or what drove gross profit, or what drove obsolescence. And and uh, their first-time fill rate, real number was probably 60%. The last meeting we had with them, uh, which was a, a online meeting, we've been doing online meetings uh, with them a lot in the last six months, a weekly call of, of updates on practices and procedures and what they're doing and why. and Boy, it it was those managers, those four or five managers leading that meeting and questioning what they were seeing among the group. And not just questioning what they were seeing, but digging into how do you improve this process? And the result of that is, is that their fill rate has gone from that 60 number upwards of 84, 85 percent. And it's a real number. And the big, the big thing is they know that they can see more improvement inside that number based on what they are, what the activities are doing, the data they look at, you know, the real questioning as to Mark, as you would say, why? Why is it like this? And, and uh, why, are, why are we doing what we're doing? And so, you know, that's the, these stories of, of people continually, how'd you say it, John, looking at an existing process and thinking, how do we make it better? Um, they didn't have a process in place. Yeah. So they built one and, and it's, you know, you're starting to see it take hold. We, we, lend, we, we spend a lot of time um, on this process improvement methodology and the idea of marrying technology with process. Mark, you, that's a, a phrase that I hear you talk about a lot, the idea of marrying technology
1: yeah, with process. What you're looking for is uh, uh, the stop the workarounds flow in any department uh, in, in a service department might be the hardest we kind of argue about that but uh, there are a lot of moving parts and if you have technology that doesn't integrate fully with your process uh, it, it just makes a lot of workarounds and I see that a lot okay uh, you know the number one question I get asked uh, for years now okay it's how many support people do I need for X number of technicians and and my answer is always pretty much the same. it depends on your process. certainly it depends on the ability of those people and having the right right person with the right abilities and the right seat and so forth. but it really depends on the process. If I'm trying to move through a set of process steps and and uh, we fail at step three, it creates a workaround because if we don't fix it before we get to step four at the end of the uh process we've got to go back and reconstruct all that and uh uh, so it it's it's a a stigma it needs to integrate and most DMS systems affect everyone that i've ever dealt with some better than others okay we'll do that for you if you think through it if you just develop a process uh in a in a ivory tower and you don't think about how this works with my technology you're creating extra steps which is waste in the process and waste is expensive i think we're going to talk a little bit about waste today
0: yeah and i think mark the uh you know we've we've seen this in pulse as we build up Pulse for our pulse users and you know because we're pulling that bottom line transactional data we can we're getting the visibility, if you will, on, on these transactions. And and so the calculation of a first time fill rate or a true turn or dwell time, lag time, whatever those calculations are, they're quote real because they're they're based on what's coming out of the system. But, you know, we get a lot of questions back, hey, my calculation is different than the pulse calculation. Why is it different? And you start talking about Well, the way you're using the technology with your process is forcing your calculation to be different. And usually it's in favor of the dealership. It's not a real calculation, a a real number. And so I think that that's a really, really important point. You know, I know John, this is not just about parts and service in terms of flow. You talked about the used truck uh, retail, get ready in the retail process. But I think continuous improvement and process improvement really, Impacts the value of the whole business as well. I I think it the the better your process and continuous improvement, I would guess, the higher the value is of the business.
2: Well, so, Keith, it has both short-term and long-term ramifications, right? Relative to that specific process that I was just talking about a few moments ago. Um, you know we've we've realized uh, benefits short-term real tangible economic benefits in that uh, you know number one we've got a more defined process for getting trucks reconditioned so we know more specifically what the procedures are there's more discipline between the shop and the department in terms of what works going to be performed uh, so we've we've certainly been more efficient about the reconditioning dollars that we're spending um, we're we're having salesmen that have more confidence in the products that we're selling so the opportunity to realize higher gross margins are is, is certainly real and tangible but the uh, the one piece that uh, we probably didn't anticipate when we started out was you know our policy expense fundamentally has dropped down to zero and that's a that's a combination of uh, of how we do uh, you know warranty uh, release forms for customers that choose not to purchase extended warranty. It, it involves, uh, you know, putting warranties on selected kinds of trucks and won't sell them without those warranties. But, but again, it uh, it's a better truck going out on the street that the customer. So it's just all different examples of how you can improve your short term economic imp- imp- uh, opportunity and performance. But you know more importantly now we're getting more customers out there that are going to come back to us to buy both new and used trucks because we've got a better process. So that strategically is a is and long term is a great way to position your business uh, customers having confidence knowing that you're a company that does the right thing the right way and that uh, the products that they're purchasing from you are going to be the products that will actually deliver on the on the transportation solutions that you've offered your customers. So you know, this, this process improvement does yield short-term benefits, but it also has long-term implications as well.
0: So that, that, that does impact the value of the company then?
2: No question. No question. You know, more cer- Certainly the calculation of goodwill includes how many customers you've got, how many you're doing business with, and, and uh, the, the margins that you're driving. Those are all important strategic considerations when you're trying to think about how to value your business and we saw that keith in uh, in a couple of the uh, acquisitions and divestitures that we've been involved with here very recently
0: yeah well i guess uh, in in the words of one of my most favorite uh uh, podcasters and really authors and just people i, I pay attention to jocko wilnick discipline kind of does equal freedom here if we got some discipline in the process and what we do we got more freedom to actually run our business and, and improve that uh, improve the valuation and profitability so i th- you know i think we've kind of covered a little bit about why this continuous improvement idea is important the dealership mark you talked about cost and capacity and Sort of the benefits of uh, to the employees and of the dealership customers and overall value of the dealership. And one of the things I'd like to to, to dig into a little deeper, Mark, you're the you're the resident expert in this. But John, I know you you uh, you've been exposed to this a lot as well. Is the idea of of lean and six sigma uh, of, of this more quote formal? Um, Look at processes. How you measure it, how you uh, evaluate it. I guess one of the things before we go there, Mark, it, we've talked, and I know you're you're a black belt. Mark, is that right?
1: Yeah, black belt lean six sigma.
0: So I know one of the things we've talked about for quite a long time is how do we how do we introduce six sigma and lean to our to our dealership and manufacturer OE customers and and you and I've talked for a long time there's kind of a stigma around uh, around this this certification and around this this terminology if you will.
1: yeah it it's very rare okay that, that particularly for frontline employees in any department in the dealership uh, for me to mention the fact that I'm a black belt lean six Sigma uh, because of that stigma it 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 was originally developed as you know for manufacturing it's since been uh re-engineered for almost any kind of business and it really works it's nothing more than a process improvement methodology which is which is what we're talking about designed to eliminate problems remove waste and inefficiencies why would anybody not want that um it uh, it you know combines tools methods and principles okay uh to improve your organization's operation um, the, but but uh, as soon as you mention it to a department manager uh, I feel like I become a suit with a briefcase and and they get turned off So while we use the principles and we talk a lot about the principles we don't or at least I don't mention it at the, at the on the front line with the with the customers um, However it works okay and uh, um, a- as you know, I went back to uh, Purdue in my 60s because I had been studying about Lean and Six Sigma. And the the only reason I would do that at that age, and believe me, it was hard getting back into calculus and so forth. uh, But the only reason I did it was to help our clients. And and I learned a lot and it woke me up in a lot of areas. So um, uh, if you used me 20 years ago, okay i probably could have done a better job for you today
0: <laughs> John you've been exposed to these things as well I know
2: absolutely Keith and here's uh, here's the key point that I'd make on this particular subject um, you know a lot of for to mark's point 15 20 years ago most dealers weren't big enough where they would have considered this to be the kind of investment that they should be considering from a you know strategic positioning standpoint and and today when i look at how much larger multi location uh, how much more complex the operating interactions between all the departments are i don't think this is optional anymore i think I think a dealer principal needs to wake up in the morning and be thinking about process and Kaizen and continuous improvement and trying to figure out how to wring waste and ineffic- inefficiency out of their organization. So, you know, 20 years ago when I was going through some of this education, it was always perceived by the channel, the dealers in, the, in our organization, that this is just corporate stuff and it, it really doesn't apply here to me. You can think of countless examples where dealers have implemented some of these concepts and, and successfully and to, to tremendous economic benefits as well so you know my only thought here would be this isn't uh, this isn't something for somebody else this is a, a number one strategic imperative that a lot of dealer principals need to spend more time thinking about in terms of how they drive improvement and uh, more efficiency in their business and how they position each of their operating departments to serve their customers more effectively
0: so it's not a flavor of the month type thing
1: no. Nope. Well, Mark, we've been kind of talking about this for thirty years, right? Right. It, it, it's not a flavor of the month, it, and and it's not rocket science. Uh, the, the math uh, gets a little hard sometimes, but today, but but today there's spreadsheets to do the math for you. Okay, you know it's no it's no more than what we've done uh, for years and years. But it's a method of uh, it's not just the process, but the methodology to drive it. It's a set of tools and techniques to change for change management, okay? It really comes What what
0: do you what do you mean by
1: that? Well, what do you mean what do I mean?
0: <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you what do you mean by what do you mean by tools and techniques?
1: Well, it's, lean lean is all about the culture, okay? The mindset and the culture and and the people. Six sigma are all the tools for measuring the data that comes from that. In other words, you would in a Kaizen event uh, I won't go through the whole Kaizen event but in, in in from a very high high level at the end of a Kaizen event you should have a a theory a, a formula we're going to move from X to y by when whatever that that may be okay once you once you decide that's what your your goal is you need to validate that theory before you move forward and that's where all the measurement comes in to not just to guess that there's waste in my process but but to measure it the lean side of it is where you start which is all about making people want to change okay and i've said it a hundred times it again it's very simple explanation would be to make it their idea and and that starts with the kaizen event Okay. okay. So, I, you know, I think we need to talk about lean before we get too deep into uh, Six Sigma because that's all the math okay. and the data. Okay. But but lean is the mindset and the culture. But there's a method to putting the two together for continuous improvement. Lean doesn't mean anything more than, than removal of waste in your process. Uh, okay. But not from the top down. Not from – us coming in and putting a hammer down. Quit doing it this way. Start doing it this way. It's got to be from the bottom up. It's got to be pulled up, not pushed down, or it won't. It won't last. I'm sure both of you have run into instances where, where, where um, uh, somebody has tried to push down a process of any kind or a new piece of technology, and the people will almost sabotage it. Will we'll work really hard to prove that you're wrong if they weren't part of that change.
0: So, John, you know, I'm going to go back to the example that you used earlier this morning of your best, and you talked about the used truck get ready process. And it sounds to me, Mark, you, you were listening in on that as well, um, that, that that there was a, there's some removal of waste in that, but a lot of that is cultural, it sounds like. John, can you take, a, take us through a little bit more of, you know, maybe what, what started there and 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 how this thing was done you know i I know you're not done with it yet but what you've got accomplished so
2: far well so i would highlight a couple of events mark's mark's point that uh that this has to come from the bottom up is is an excellent point on the other hand, management has a role in this, and that's insisting that the organization keep improving. So, we had some events that drove. Uh, dro- we had a couple of trucks that were purchased in town that were out of town that had significant, uh, significant product failures that were uh, resulted in policy expense that was extraordinarily challenging to the organization. So, I think we were sort of in a fortunate position that we had one of those events that management was in a position where they. It couldn't just not do anything anymore, right? It, the, the economic consequences of having a poor process or an undefined process were so substantial and so significant that it required some sort of a some sort of a you know improvement in the organization. And then uh, and then it was so significant that even people at the Salesforce level recognized, you know, this is a, this is a process that. We don't have one, and uh, the results of not having a process are really, really pretty, pretty uh, catastrophic. So we were in a fortunate situation that no matter which angle you were looking at, at this particular situation from, it required some remediation. It required some discipline in terms of how we we got trucks ready for the front line. Okay. Keith, the one thing that uh, Mark has alluded to, and and, the, and quite frankly, um, I, I think sometimes identifying the immediate opportunities is not very challenging. What the process looks like gets a little bit more difficult. And, and the real challenge uh, from our perspective, uh, working with this particular client is consistency of purpose, consistency of execution. You know, at the end of the day, almost every employee in every dealership is different. A new process change management it requires people to do things differently and so that's our existing that's our biggest challenge uh, when we when we think about the changes we've made and how we continue to implement them i think deming said a system left unattended regresses back to its lowest level and you know what uh, a process left unattended you, you tend to go back to doing things the same old way and you fall back into the, the same Amen. old trap. And that's been our biggest challenge. We, I think we've done a pretty good job of management, supporting the process, having constancy of purpose and, and, and insisting on consistent execution. I think the lower levels understand what needs to be done and we're doing a pretty good job of setting up a process that they think can be executed consistently. But we fall back into the same old trap of, of uh, you know, do, just failure to execute on the new process. Accountability. Yeah, we probably still have some work to do there too, Mark. As a matter of fact, right? When, when things fall through the gap, that's generally a pretty good signal that nobody was really, or or, or nobody really
1: understood. They will. Well, and that and that's where pulse, uh, or or something like it. Okay, but pulse really really helps you with the accountability it, it's a proven fact the closer i could get to the mistakes or the outliers that are made the things that set outside of what we're trying to do when the process breaks down to the coaching that needs to come with it for the accountability the more effective it'll be and with pulse updating four times a day okay i've got live data it it's you know, for years, we had to rely on dealing with yesterday's results because we could only pull those numbers once a day. Okay. Today, it's it's much better without going to a million so, places.
0: So, John, uh, John, I'm going to come back to, to your, you know, what you've been doing. If, if you looked at when you started this uh, process or when you started the engagement with them, what, 12 months ago? Yes. And you look at at your numbers, you talked about policy, but when you look at your numbers then versus now, what are are some of the changes you've seen?
2: Well, so sometimes it gets a little difficult to isolate Keith, right? Because there are so many things that are also going on in the business at the same time. So uh, I think I'm gonna answer that question by saying this, Um, our policy expense has been the most visible and the most tangible place where we can recognize that this, this is not just a, a concept. This is an idea that really brings some real tangible economic merit to the dealership. Um, our margins have improved as well. Um, okay. The bottom line, uh, get confounded by the fact that we have still got a number of other issues that we're all trying to wrestle with at right. the same time. And oh, by the way, the used truck market has kind of taken a couple of steps backwards. So some of the benefits of uh, what we've been able to do are, are perhaps getting masked by the market. Uh, but the, the other thing that I'd say is anytime you improve one particular process, other opportunities for other processes that can also be improved, that would also have a similar economic benefit. And I would characterize this, that's where we're at right now, trying to have consistency of execution of the process that we've uh, improved and always looking for where's, where's the next low-hanging fruit that represent the next opportunity for us.
0: Okay. Mark, you, you talked some about the difference between lean and six Sigma. Um, I know one of the things you refer a lot to is the Toyota production system and that, that book.
1: Yeah. If the, you will. The, the, the Toyota production system is where lean came from and it was developed by a uh, Schubert and Deming. John just mentioned Deming a little bit ago. If you've, if you've ever read the story about Deming, we wouldn't listen to him here in the United States after world war two. And he ended up in, in Japan and, um, uh, make quite an impact, okay? Um, if, again, uh, if, if we talk about lean a minute, okay, it's not rocket science. It's about culture. It's about it, to what John's point was of getting the accountability, catching the outliers, okay, the effect it has on other processes when you change one process and so forth. It creates waste, okay? All those things create waste, and lean is nothing more than the removal of waste but from the bottom up as i said before now there's there's five principles the biggest one is value okay but not value from the dealership side that will come from the whole process but value from the customer side what does the customer value in buying a truck buying a used truck uh, buying a part from the parts department uh, or having their truck service and service department and so forth okay uh you know in our studies as you two know okay what we see is the average dwell time from the time we open a repair order to the last punch when the job is done is over four days it's been that way now for a number of years but yet 82 percent of the repair orders that that we write are four hours or less so from a customer standpoint are we showing value by holding his truck for four days for four hours worth of work it's not
0: yeah the question the question i always when we do that number is what happened to the other three and a half days right, right. I
1: mean, it, yeah now there's valid reasons sure. that you know the second principles at the value stream then measuring against that real
0: quick you talked about value from the customer's point of view uh so john i i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of let you, you guys battle this out a little bit but you're a customer, the used truck department is a customer of the service department. Even though it's not a quote cash customer or a paying customer, used trucks is a customer of the service department. Does that, Mark, does that apply? I mean, is it, is it always just a, a, a cash customer, a paying customer or is, it, or is there internal customers in this as well?
1: Well, when again, you start to look at value. Again, John John brought this up about how one process can affect another. All right, All the work in the world of uh, on either department of uh, fixing it without the other one's involvement is not going to uh, produce as much benefit as if they work together, right? Whether it's service and parts or, or service parts and the used truck department and so forth. I've always been told by those used truck guys that I can't sell it, I can get it on the front line and guess what, I got to get it through the inspection and get repairs made to it and so forth when it comes in. Um, so so yes, absolutely, in fact, uh, a good used truck department could be the service department's biggest customer or one of their biggest customers and should be treated uh, as such and get the truck back out, okay? Uh, you know, there's, there's issues on both sides in getting that done. Okay, but from, that's exactly what I'm talking about. is if it, you know, the inspection is usually two or three hours worth of work. Okay, if we don't find anything wrong, how long does that truck stay in the service department for that two or three hours worth of work? Okay. And what is it costing us in another department? What's it costing us in floor plan if that truck is floored and so forth? Okay, and for our external customers, it's the same thing. They can't make money with that truck while it's in your shop or sitting in the parking lot waiting to come into your shop. Now, there's a lot okay. that goes into it. And when you do value stream mapping, you're looking for what is the customer value, you're measuring that four days, every minute of it, what happened to it. And there's some things to, even though it's not valued to the customer, it, it has to be done in order to get the value to the customer. But how, you know, how can we, the, the work then is how do we minimize the waste that we do see and and it's not one answer it's a lot of answers which takes you to to the third principle which is flow and that allows you to create flow
0: so if you were if you were to go back and and for the two of you and john I'd, i'd appreciate your thoughts on this as well from a used truck standpoint and i know we're just isolating one process here but if you look at the used truck standpoint john in terms of the get ready process coming out of service how does that when you guys looked at this on the project you're doing right now in terms of the value that you needed as a as a customer of the service department and then looked at that value stream for finding out where the waste was and and the and starting to create flow how'd you go about doing that and and what did you start to identify as you, as you did do that from a used truck standpoint?
2: Well uh, so first off let me uh, Mark, Mark made a great point right We really are talking about any dealership. USA here, right? This is uh, this isn't something unique to the project that we're on. How, how the used truck department and and how the service department interface with each other is uh, is an issue at every every dealership in America, every dealership in Canada, every every dealership in the world, more than likely. And uh, and the reality of the situation is, Keith, not every dealership uh, is stuck at the same point. Some dealers have uh, really done an excellent job of getting their service manager to think about the uh, the truck department, not just as a, as a captive customer, which in most instances they are, but but as a customer in general. So uh, our approach to this uh, particular project uh, was oriented around why why is there poor poor service between the two departments, and we identified a couple of areas uh, pretty quickly. One was uh, more often than not, communication was awful. Uh, the work that was to be performed by the shop uh, generally wasn't documented. Uh, the specific procedures, the, uh, the, uh, the parameters around which uh, they could do more work than what the, the communication was really, really uncertain and, uh, and ineffective. So, you know, that was kind of how we started approaching this project. The other thing that, uh, that came to light pretty quickly was the kind of procedures that were per- performed in, in our shop. Were repetitive, and uh, and to be going to the service manager over and over and over again, to, uh, requesting a quotation uh, on the same same um, was really inefficient for the service manager and ineffective for the truck manager. So, we uh, we kind of approached it from the perspective, maybe we ought to have some defined pricing up front. What's a DOT inspection going to cost? As an example, okay, uh, what's a, a DPF baking? going to cost as an example of some of the procedures. And now we, we have some, some menu pricing, if you will, that uh, the consistency of the pricing is, is much better than it was when we started out. And the time lag between uh, what the service manager and the used truck manager, you know, has been eliminated because we know up front what the pricing is. And the only time we have to go to the service manager now or the body shop manager now is when we have uh, new instances or something peculiar about this specific unit or this specific repair. And it's really, uh, that would spend been a great place for us to start
1: uh, taking time out of the, uh, the reconditioning process. So, so, Mark, that took a bunch of waste. Absolutely, out. that's exactly what you're doing. Okay, uh, we, we, we talk about that when I'm dealing with a service department, okay, as structure once we've developed the hypothesis and, and we've measured, done some value stream mapping or, or measured w- whatever the, the key ingredients are for that hypothesis and validated, okay, we develop a process from the bottom up again. And then before we turn the switch, before we even do the training for the frontline people, build the structure to enable those frontline people to execute efficiently. So if there was no menu pricing in John's description, they had to look it up every time. And undoubtedly, they probably got different pricing by different, if they had multiple locations, I'm sure the locations had different pricing and based on which service advisor, which foreman or which manager built the price, I got different pricing. Even which back parts counter guy was on duty may have changed the parts pricing and so forth. So. Right. so all of that building the structure to enable the front line to do it more efficiently more efficiently helps other departments like as John just described uh, manage their manage their business because again they can't sell it to it's out there on the front line
0: so we've got cre- we got value we got value stream map so what, what's what's the value to the customer how do we measure the process you talked about creating flow so trying to Identify the process and remove
1: the waste. And that's ongoing. That's What's ongoing. It? It's never ending. Okay. It's continuous improvement from the bottom up. So it's everyone's job. It's everyone's responsibility to bring that to the attention of, of management when there's a place to to uh, reduce waste. Okay. Uh, and and it again, it's, uh, the the fourth principle is pulling it as I've said now ten times, not pushing it down. But the fifth principle is perfection. You're always driving to perfection. You're never going to get there, uh, but you're always driving toward perfection in your processes. And, you know, there's different kinds of waste, and we've kind of talked about it, okay? But there's non-value-added work. We've talked about that. That's pure waste, right, what we're doing.
0: So is is that like this continually asking the service manager for a quote when it could be a...
1: Um, Absolutely. Menu Absolutely, not taking the time to build the structure. We talked about integration with our DMS, having it in our DMS or our estimating system wherever we're building estimates, so that it's it's easy. as punching a bus a, a button. Uh, we're we're doing a DOT inspection, bang. Huge truck has their own PM inspection, bang. We've priced it. Here it is. Okay. Um, okay. So there's a lot of structure items. Including how we communicate with the other departments and so forth. Okay.
0: Okay. And you call that Muda? Muda? That's that Muda. Right.
1: right? Muda? Yeah. Muda? Okay. All right. That's only when I have my key on. Okay. My key up. Okay. Okay. Uh, otherwise, I just call it pure waste. All right. It's yeah, good. Look for yeah. <laughs> yeah. I may need to, as much spaghetti as I've been eating. I may need to get a little bit bigger one, though. I don't know. then there's just unevenness and flow that's waste and and it's a little bit harder to control that waste Uh, you know uh, an example is a used truck uh is buying it's doing a deal um uh, to sell a bunch of trucks and taking 40 trucks in on trade and they want them all through the shop at one time right but they never told us about it in the service department till they showed up on the on the lot so we couldn't prepare for it and so forth okay and I'm picking on John only because he's on the call here sure it happens with every department and every customer market conditions drive it uh, warranties drive it and so forth but unevenness of flow produces waste I can't staff to the peaks I don't want to staff to the valleys so managing that capacity versus demand becomes real hard and that's called Mura in in Japan Okay. okay And then there's just overburdening resources beyond, beyond their normal capabilities. Okay. And, and if I haven't trained, if I haven't built the structure, okay. Uh, if you've stood around a service department that, that is experiencing this, you see, uh, just listen to the advisors or the foreman or the technicians talking, uh, when they take a break or when the customer's not, hopefully when a customer's not in front of them about how screwed up this place is and so forth. Okay. Uh um, all of that produces waste. Okay.
0: So, so that's that overburdening just says, no matter how good you are at it, you right. just don't have time to do right. it. Right.
1: Every time I thing? start something, okay. you interrupt me to do something else, or a customer interrupts me. are darn customers that so we say quit calling, right? And so right. forth. And that's Muri. Okay. okay. So the three M's: Muda, okay. Mura, and Muri. Uh, the, the biggest one, and, and often we never get past that when we're working because there's so much of it, is the Muda, the non-value added work. It's the okay. easiest to see, but it's okay. not necessarily easy to fix it all. But it's about process and gotcha. structure and accountability and and a Kanban, which is a flag that raises when something is out of order, when we miss the step. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. You know as we talk through this uh, you, we've talked a lot about lean it, it sure sounds like there's some crossover between lean and the culture piece of it and certainly all the understanding of it from value value stream map the flow the push right. push and pull the uh striving for perfection sure sounds like there's a lot of crossover though between that and some of the maxwell leadership principles and the other leadership principles that that alan and casey and that all of us try and deal with uh with our customers on and both in our in our firm on as well
1: uh, yeah absolutely okay uh you know this stuff again it's not rocket science that the term lean six sigma freaks everybody out but it's nothing more than than what we've done all along the problem was without this methodology everyone would do it different okay so the the idea is it's a proven methodology that works a, a very high percentage of the time uh, we won't get into six sigma today but 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 just as a quick definition okay if i'm operating at six sigma that means 99.999966 percent of the time it runs perfect I don't know that we'll ever get to that in our industry, in any department. But if you can imagine an airline not striving for Sigma, if they were 90%, 90% uh, successful, that would mean over 100,000 crashes a year, right? Okay. So, you know, to the point, it becomes more important for certain things than others, right? But striving for it is, is the perfection. Okay.
0: Great. At the end of the day, it sounds like a leadership challenge as no, well, it, though, right? This is this is certainly processed, but, you know, John, to your point, what you're experiencing right now, this is driven by leadership as well.
1: Yeah, once you yes. develop the process, it becomes an edict for the dealer, to John's point earlier, that we're going to change, okay? Hopefully that process was developed from the bottom up so they all have some sort of buy-in, or most of them do, okay? Provide the structure to make it easier for them to execute, but it's an edict to do it, and that's where leadership comes in, trying not to do it with a hammer, but to do it with your arm wrapped around the guy and, and pull it up, encourage him, and that's through coaching. Okay.
0: John, you got any more thoughts on this continuous improvement, the lean piece of this, as we start this discussion today?
2: Look, I'm still trying to sell the dealer principals that they need to get on this train, okay? So the analogy I always make is you you would never send a guy out to build a house if if he didn't have the right tools in his tool bucket, okay? If he didn't have a hammer and a saw and and an air gun for his, you wouldn't expect him to build a very good house. And if a dealer principal is serious about building a a successful business that can take care, of, can address and solve the needs of their customers better than any of their competitors. Th- these are the tools that have to be in your tool bucket as a dealer principal. You need to get comfortable with all the concepts that we've talked about here today, but more importantly, you need to get you need to get comfortable with consistently executing um, these concepts and insisting that your organization execute on these concepts. I think I think that's the most important point that I. would like to have dealer principals walk away from is this isn't optional anymore. This is kind of table stakes to building a successful business.
0: Well, hey, uh, we've we've spent 51 minutes talking about uh, just touching on some lean ideas and continuous improvement. What do you say that we uh, close this one up and we'll come back in a month or so and dig deeper into uh, Six Sigma? Mark, you okay with that? That sounds
1: great to me. Okay.
0: All right. Guys, anything else before we close? I I always appreciate people listening
1: to this. The big thing is to everybody, if you have any suggestions or you disagree or agree with anything, let us know. All right. Just call Heidi and and she'll write it all down.
0: We do appreciate the time and appreciate people listening. Hope that uh, ATD was good for everybody as well. And, that uh, the first two months of the year were great. John, any closing thoughts before we call it a day?
2: Thanks, you guys. Let's get on down the road.
0: Sounds good. That's good. Well, John and, and Mark, thanks again for your time. Heidi, as always, thanks for producing this. Until next time, this is the Three Wise Truck Guys. We're out. Thanks for listening to Three Wise Truck Guys, the podcast from key advisors. Go to keyadvisors.com slash store to purchase our used truck forecast and more.